Well, good morning, GPC Church family and friends. I trust you're a little more rested this morning, right? Wasn't that nice? I enjoyed it myself. I feel a little bit more awake right now, and I hope that you do. So let me begin with this. There are a thousand ways that you and I have shattered the image of God and perverted his beauty, his holiness, and his perfection. There's a thousand different ways you and I have done that, right? Well, this fall, we've been looking at ten of them, right? The Ten Commandments. We've been looking at the law of God, the Decalogue, the ten words, literally, is what it is. And we've seen, hopefully, if you've paid attention, you've seen that these are not ten ways that we try to save ourselves or fix ourselves or clean ourselves up. No, 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 no. That's not a Christian view of the law. We said that the law was given to God's redeemed people, having been delivered from bondage. And he's given them his law and said, now go and be my people in the earth. Take my character and my nature and it will look like these ten things. There's a thousand ways you and I have broken the image of God. Here are ten ways that we're trying to see God's spirit restore it in each of us, in our church family, and through the church universal. This morning, we're looking at the ninth commandment. Another short commandment and another one where you might first hear it and think, okay, well, I'm good. But as we look at it, I trust you'll find that we are lawbreakers through and through. And we'll have additional reading from the Old Testament to help us understand God's heart on this law. So give your attention to Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, and then Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And then Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all of this, declares the Lord. Let's pray that God will bless our understanding and application of his word. Lord, that is my prayer this morning that you would be our teacher, that since your word is opened up and read and heard, and since we trust your spirit to always be present with it and with your people, Lord, would you teach us what your word would have be true of us? And we ask it and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you know that I love food. Talk about food all the time. I love food. But is there anything more delicious than a big, fat, juicy rumor? A big, fat, juicy rumor. What is it about the human heart 
that loves to sink its teeth into a rumor or a story about someone, maybe someone that you're at odds with, maybe someone you're tense with. Big, fat, juicy rumors can be so delicious, can't they? So several years ago, uh, when I was in campus ministry, we found ourselves in RUF having to have conversations uh, about websites and applications on phones called things like this. Juicy Campus, Yik Yak, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. For those who don't, Juicy Campus, just like the big fat juicy rumor, Juicy Campus was an anonymous way where you could conceal your name and your identity, but you could publicly post comments about other people for all to see that lived in your geographical area. And so on college campuses everywhere, Juicy Campus was known as a place to go and vent where you could say things about, I don't know, your faculty, your staff, your coaches, your roommate. And it created all kinds of destruction. Yik Yak was the same thing. It was an app actually created by two graduates of Furman University, a beloved institution just an hour from here, formerly a Baptist school, who created an anonymous way online through an app to do the exact same thing. And these things were like forest fires on college, college campuses. About 10 years ago was when Juicy Campus started, I think. What did the book of James say in our reflection, in our opening reading? The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire from hell. Do you remember what Jesus said about Satan himself in John chapter 8? Of the devil, he said, he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. And so this morning, in talking about the ninth commandment, we have to talk about our tongue, and we have to always remember, as James, the author, teaches us, our tongues are attached to our hearts, not anatomically, but spiritually. Our tongues reveal what is inside of us. And at the heart of the ninth commandment, God tells us that we are to say true things and we are to live truly in the earth. As we represent Him and His likeness in this world, we are to say true things in speech and in life. We're to tell the truth. So I just have a few points for you this morning, and I really do hope my intention is that this will be application-rich for young and for old and everybody in between. Children, little ones, tiny ones, I got a lot to say to you. You need to listen. Because sometimes mommy has asked you, honey, did you brush your teeth? And you have said, mm-hmm, yeah. We're to speak the truth in all things, big and small. So a few short points for you this morning. The first point is this. The Lord reveals himself to be the God of truth. 
He is truth. He is pure. He is holy. He is undefiled. And when he says something, he means something. And his, his word is his bond in the truest fulfillment of the sense. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we're told, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. God is light, God is holy, God is truth, God is pure. In him there is no darkness at all. And then there's us in our lives. And the little white lies that we might tell, the half-truths that we might tell, how our tongues might work to conspire against our neighbor to make us look better somehow. And we're reminded this morning that God is a God of truth. He's a God of light. He's a God of pureness, a God of holiness. And he wants his people to be that way in the earth. He wants us to be those kinds of people in the earth. The Lord commands, second point this morning, the Lord commands his image-bearing and redeemed people to not bear false witness against their neighbors. The Lord commands his image-bearing and redeemed people. If you're a Christian, that is your definition and your job description. We are not to be those who bear false witness, not in speech and not in life. We are to be like our Heavenly Father and bring truth and order and beauty into God's world. We are to redeem things. We are to make things better we're not supposed to go around like arsonists with our tongues setting things on fire, creating conflict here, stirring things up there, creating dissension among brothers here and among sisters here. We're to be the peacemakers, right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And so for some who have personalities that like to get in it, that like conflict... Maybe they're quick with their tongue. Maybe they're witty with their tongue. We're reminded this morning that all of that matters to God. All of that matters to God. Who we are, what we say, how we live is to bear true witness to His holiness, His likeness, and His goodness. At the heart of this, what we have is, is essentially courtroom language. You shall not bear false witness. Sounds very legal. Well, it really is. It's courtroom language. And so you could try, I could try to, to let ourselves off the hook by saying, I've never even been to court. This is all legal. This is, this is courtroom stuff, so this commandment doesn't belong to me. And it really does. It, it's elevated speech to say that with your tongue, you bring accusation against people. And you should never bring false accusation especially when it benefits you, when it props you up somehow, you should never use your tongue and false words, false accusation, tearing down a neighbor to prop yourself up. That's essentially what is at the heart of the commandment. And what that means, here's where it gets really prickly. What that means is we are forbidden from telling non-truths 
we're forbidden from telling half-truths, right? And it is in our nature, it is in our fallen nature to always work the angles for our personal good, isn't it? To always work the angles for our own benefit. And here the Lord says, no, your neighbor always counts more than you. Don't ever tell a non-truth, not even a half-truth, to benefit yourself, to build yourself up, and tearing down someone in an untrue and in a false way. We are only to, set to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Does that sound familiar? Our legal system, our court system, has adopted this principle and this truth for that very reason. For whatever reason, place your hands on the Bible and promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, only the truth. That's a biblical principle. That's from the law of God. It reminds me of a commercial some of you may remember. It was in my mind all week. About 10 years ago, the Geico commercial with Honest Abe Lincoln. Do you remember this commercial? Where it figuratively shows Abraham Lincoln and his wife, bless her, where she's trying on a dress and she says to Honest Abe, who cannot tell a lie. Do you remember this? She asks him, Abraham, does this dress make me look fat? And Honest Abe is sitting there nervously, can't tell a lie, doesn't know how to answer the question. And he says, maybe just a little. <laughs> We're to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth all the time. But we have to be careful at home, right? <laughs> I love the Abraham Lincoln commercial, but there is this standard of honesty that he did not meet, Right? You and I are deceived, we're self-deceived when we think, I don't have a problem with bearing false witness. I don't have a problem with the ninth commandment. I'm a truth teller. I see all things truly, tell all things truly. The commandment is crushing us for a reason. If you understand the human heart and what has happened to it by the fall, what we read about in Genesis chapter 3, you understand we are, we are sin-ruined messes, every one of us. We will use our tongues to prop up ourselves and to tear down our neighbors. And the Lord says He hates this. Now, children, I told you I had a few words for you. I don't know your experience, but when I was a little boy, if I ever used the language of hate... If I said I hated something, my grandfather was very quick to admonish me. He would say, son, you be careful what you say you hate. The Lord doesn't hate anything. Well, actually, didn't know this then. But listen again to Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. These are the things you are to do positively. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, says the Lord. Wow, well, wait a minute. That's strong speak. There are things 
that the Lord says that he hates. And one of them is when his people say untrue things at the detriment of their neighbor and for the benefit of themselves. The Lord hates it. Strong speech, but he's given us that for a reason. It is his character and his nature that he is defending. He is the God of light. He is the God of truth. All things from him and of him are pure and true and good. Therefore, we are only to say true things. That's the standard. Only say true things. Now, when I was in seminary, I had a professor. Some of you may know him. Jack Collins was his name. And he used to tell us in our class, he would remind us frequently that every morning when he left home to come to teach us, he had a little daughter at home at the time. And as he was going out the door, he said his daughter would always admonish him, Daddy, only tell the students true things. Right? They had helped their daughter, no doubt, understand Scripture that we only say true things. We only want to say true things. And that has just stuck in my mind. I wish that every day I left home, I reminded myself... Only say true things. Only say true things. It's a good little admonishment, not just for our children, but for us. As we walk out of the door every morning, we are going to bear the image of God to a fallen world. And we say true things. We live true things. We'll see in a minute. We defend true things. We protect true things. Because our God is a God of light. He's a God of truth. He's a God who wants to be represented for who he truly is. In all things, in speech and in life, we are to live truly. We're to speak truthfully. It really does matter to God. It's one of the ten things he's charged his people to be in the earth. That means there should be no double lives lived among us. It also means there should be no double tongues among us. Now, you know what I mean by a double life. It's very possible to live one way on Sunday and a different way on Monday morning. It's very possible to be one person in public and a different person in private. It's very possible to be known as one person, but to have a completely different identity online, digitally. Now, this is a real thing. Uh, actually, in our own presbytery, we've known this. We've, we've had uh, an individual who was living a double life, one in ministry and one online. And the church engaged that and recently restored that individual after years of ministry and working with them. A double life is very possible. And this morning, I'm reminding you that Scripture says we live one life. It's to be lived truly, honestly, bearing image of God to the world, and pointing to Christ in everything that we do. But some of you know what it is to be a different person at work. Maybe your language is different at work. Maybe your humor is different at work. Or at practice on your team. Maybe your language is different. Your humor is different. Or maybe at home. Maybe at church we're very calm, cool, and collected. And at home we're angry people. Fists through drywall. God says we're to be consistent. We're to, 
in our speech and in our life, we live the truth, we tell the truth, we image the truth of God. And the truth is we do it very poorly, very inconsistently. You know, in the scriptures themselves, we have that negative example of a double life lived in Judas Iscariot. One of Jesus' twelve, right? One who would eat and drink with Jesus. One who would sit at his feet and hear his teaching. But Judas would betray Jesus. He had a second life. He was a different person when he was around the money purse and the money exchangers and the teachers of the law. And he would betray Jesus because there was an inconsistency. There was a double life. There was a double heart in him. And the Lord says, again, he hates that. He hates that. He wants his people to be unified and one in who they are. And I'll say it again, he hates it. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, and a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. There are six things the Lord hates, it says. Seven that are detestable to Him. Do you see how serious the Scriptures say that this is? God wants His people to be unified in the truth, in our speech and in our life. We are to be consistent, representing Him, bearing His image in the earth. And this morning, I'm admitting to you, I don't do this. And you don't do this. We are commandment breakers, inconsistent, not always telling the truth, always cutting the angles somehow for our personal good, even at the detriment of of our neighbor. And there's a reason for that. We live in a world of deception, corruption, and misrepresentation of truth. That is what the fall in Genesis chapter 3 has done. God's good ordered world is now broken. His people are now broken. And I want you to think with me how deception, corruption, and misrepresentation of the truth, it is in the water we swim in every single day. Tomorrow, at some point, if you have an iPhone or a cell phone, your phone's going to ring. Mine rings every day of every week, it seems. And it'll say, for instance, oh, an unknown caller from Abbeville, South Carolina. Maybe it's, maybe it's a friend of mine. And you swipe and you answer the phone and he's not in Abbeville, South Carolina. He's in another country, right? And he's preying upon me. So we have this layer of deceit and you know how this works. I one time got a phone call from myself. Has that happened to you? So they ghost the numbers, they take the numbers and then they use those so that they pop up on other people's phone hoping that you'll answer it. Right? I got a phone call from myself one time. That was a weird experience. And it wasn't me on the other end of things, by the way. It was somebody else. 
So there's deception for personal gain. Misrepresenting reality for personal gain. And it happens on your phone all the time. It happens in your mail all the time. You all may know that my mother is a new widow and she is getting bombarded with mail, maybe some of you are, telling her that you know your insurance is about to run out, you need to add this policy, or you need to do this for your car. And she can so easily be overwhelmed and be like, is this true? Is this true? And there are three of us who are her children, and every time we're home, we're like, no, no, that's not true. They're preying upon you and your circumstances misrepresenting the truth to try to get your money, right? We see it on our phones. We see it in our mailbox. You see it on TV. This week, news of a fake dossier that seemed to have been confirmed. Fake news, misrepresentation of truth, people stirring up appearances of corruption to try to stick it to a political party, both left and right. It happens across the board. This is all breaking of the ninth commandment. It's misrepresenting truth. It's not speaking the truth. It's not living the truth. And it's doing it for personal advantage to prey upon a neighbor. False advertising, misleading advertising. Social media only provides the chance for this to take off like a forest fire. And there's a whole new way, by the way, that social media complicates this because now we can pile on, right? Now we can hit like or we can share. And like a forest fire, we can spread what we might think is true and it turns out having just been emotionally created and untrue. And all of this, the Lord says, all of it, He detests, He hates because it's the opposite of his image and his likeness. If I said to you the name Richard Jewell, some of you might immediately remember that name. If I said Richard Jewell, 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia, security guard who found pipe bombs in a backpack. You remember now? Remember this story? And he notified the authorities as a security guard, hey, I think these are bombs. They were bombs. The bombs went off. And some of you would fill in the rest of that story and say, and Richard Jewell did it. Because for weeks or months or maybe years, I can't remember the media had determined that he did it. And everything said to us predetermined that they had their man. Turns out it wasn't him. Turns out he really was a hero, a simple security guard who found the pipe bombs and turned them in. But he fit the description of what people thought would be the man who did it. And it stuck. Most Americans, when you say the name Richard Jewell, most Americans think, oh yeah, he did it. He was guilty. He was not guilty. That's the power of false testimony. False testimony sticks, especially when we want it to. And that poor man, that poor soul was unjustly accused. 
It probably led to uh, expedited his death from health problems because he lived a miserable life having been falsely accused, bearing that, that image as having been the bomber when he hadn't done it. That's the horror of false witness. Tearing down your neighbor. Coming to the conclusion that you want somebody to come to and then spreading the word like a forest fire, like wildfire. The truth is this. False witness, like all ungodliness, like all sin, destroys. It destroys people. And God is concerned that it would destroy our neighbors and that we would be the ones bringing the destruction on them. I want you to think for a minute about how false witness really plays out. You say something that's not true, or maybe it's a half-truth, and you let it spread. You become one of the spreaders. What happens then? Well, here's the destruction that it does. It starts to tear people apart, which God hates. It causes anger in the one who has been falsely represented. That leads to bitterness. That leads to self-defense, going on the defensive. It leads to counterattacks. It leads to retribution. And that ultimately leads to the destruction of people and their relationships. And so false witness does that. It tears people apart. It destroys people. It can destroy families. It can destroy congregations, churches. And God has said to his covenant people in Israel, do not bear false witness. Do not be a people who say untrue things. Your life, your speech should bear truth to the world because I am the Lord your God. And that's why he tells us that. That we might bear his image and not our fallen image in the earth. Now, in the way of application and working towards a conclusion, I want to say that it is right, it is a righteous thing for us to defend the truth and the good name of our neighbor when we hear them falsely accused. It's also right to defend our own good name when we are falsely accused. Now, why do I say that? Well, this is long, but it's good. This is the Westminster Larger Catechism, number 144. You can go and look at it in detail. I'm going to read it and then highlight towards the end, but give your attention to it. The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man and the good name of our neighbor, as well as our own appearing and standing for the truth, and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice and in all other things whatsoever. A charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, and sorrowing for and covering over their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, and a ready receiving of a good report, 
and unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them. It's discouraging of talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers. Love and care of our own good name and the defending of it when need requires. Keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of a good report. Now listen, that is a, that's a lot of words. But that's a lot of truth and a right, a, good, a, a right application of what this commandment would have of us. But just in the way of application, single it down to one thing. What if you and I committed ourselves to defending the truth? In the simplest of ways. Meaning, when you're at lunch and you hear somebody say something you know is not fair or is not true of someone that you know. What if you had the Christian courage to say, hey, you know what? That's not true. That's not fair. What if we were willing to do that to protect the good name of our neighbor? Now, the catechism says you have the right to do that for yourselves too. But I think it's best when Christians defend each other, when they don't have to just defend themselves. And so we are living in a culture of misrepresentation, a culture of half-truths, a culture, that, a culture that will use social media to tear people down. It will use a big, fat, juicy rumor or half-truth to start a fire like an arsonist. But what if we committed ourselves in our small little circles to extinguish fires that are unfairly built? What if we did that? Not looking to pick a fight, not looking to have a conflict, but if we just became the people that said, you know what, I appreciate you, but that's not true, and that's not fair, and that's not right. If we would do that, maybe people would be less inclined to try to light fires around us and in our small little community in which we live. That's my hope. That's my challenge to myself, to not maybe sit there silently and quietly, but to have the courage to say, that's not true, that's not fair, that's not right. We're to bear the truth in our words and in our speech to the glory of God. Now, in conclusion, last point. You know the irony of this? Do you know the irony of talking about this? It's gospel irony. It's the one who came in the flesh, the Godhead himself, who never sinned, who never had a careless word, who never had a careless action. False witness would be born against him. The God of light in the flesh, the God incarnate, the God of truth would have false witness born against him. He would be wrongly accused, unjustly put to death for us and for our sins and for our lying tongues. That's the irony of this. As we look at the law of God each week, I've told you there's one perfect lawkeeper, and his name is Jesus. He is the one person who should never have been put to death for the law. And he's the one person who was. And by his blood, by his broken body, poured out blood, 
Those who by faith trust Him and receive Him, who bring their lying, stammering tongues to Him. He washes them, He pardons them, He cleanses them, and we're given newness of life. And this morning, I don't know where else to land the sermon, but right there at the table where blood is poured and body is broken by the one who bore false witness for us. He was attacked. He was despised. He was rejected. And he did it for us. So this morning, I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to sing an appropriate song about Jesus and what he's done for us, our man of sorrows. And then I'll come and I'll lead us to the table. And and I'm going to invite you to bring your your tongues with you, and to know that your sins are forgiven when your trust is in Jesus. Because we are those who bear false witness, and we need to confess our sins to him. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for the one true law keeper who is Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, the one who committed no sin, but who became sin for us the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So Lord, as we consider our lives, the little white lies that we tell, the half-truths, or maybe even, Lord, the full lies that we've told, the misrepresentation we've allowed to be made of others around us, Lord, we confess it all as, as sin. But Lord, we look for renewal in Christ, to be bold in our faith, and willing to defend the truth, even the truth of our good neighbor. Do this in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.